I were to be presented with the opportunity to redo my younger years, so think secondary school or in the States as we call high school, I can say with 98, maybe close to 99% certainty, I would not take anybody up on that offer. Those formative years for your brain development, for understanding who you are, for the societal pressures to understand who you want to be when you quote unquote grow up, what you want to study in college, it's a lot. It's so much pressure. A large reason that I started this podcast in the first place is because I strongly feel that how we are pushed into what we want to do coming into college is put in your mind that that is the only path forward, that is the path that you should plan to take for the majority of your life. And it, at least speaking from my perspective, scared me into not wanting to dive into anything else because I thought it was too late, because I thought because I didn't go to college for it, I would not be qualified enough to pursue it as a career. What do they teach in schools these days? And it kind of rolled over into hobbies and pushing myself in ways that I had never done before growing up because, you know, I wasn't athletic and I wasn't like incredibly outgoing. I wanted to flip the narrative at a very late stage comparative to high school. My guest today, Matthias, he is trying to help the young people of Norway define that narrative much sooner than I defined it for myself. Norway has a very high rate for secondary school dropout. And Matthias is going in, finding those young adults and helping them rediscover what makes them passionate and rediscover ways that they can pursue careers that will fulfill them that they didn't get in secondary school. Those those feelings of validation and that they could pursue what they wanted to. He's helping them realize that life does not begin and end in high school or college. It simply doesn't. I was so excited to find Matthias and pick his brain to pieces about how he helps these kids, what his background is, and what makes him so passionate about all of this. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. This is episode number 49 of the You're Not Qualified podcast. We're so close to 50. It's so exciting. My name is Courtney Heater. This is the You're Not Qualified podcast, and let's dive right heckin' in. Let's go. We have work to do. So today we are welcoming Matthias Sorowick. He is hailing all the way from Norway, and right now it's 8 a.m. in Seattle, where I am, on the Pacific coast, and Norway, it's... 5 p.m. there, which is so good of you to spend a little bit of your Friday afternoon with us. So I thank you and welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Courtney. It's a pleasure to be here and thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. And I'm sure that the listeners will pick up a little bit that you sound European. And I told Matthias that it was a little bit of an Irish Scottish that I'm catching. And he is in Bergen, Norway, which apparently has a descendant population from Scotland and Ireland. Um, But it's also a sister city of Seattle, which is very exciting. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's a a good question, Courtney. Just to get things into perspective, Bergen is the second largest city in Norway. So it's on the western coast of Norway, just Seattle is on the west of the USA. And just like Seattle, it's also raining a lot in Bergen. It's pouring down. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. We always say it's a reason because God loves Bergen, hence the rain, just to keep it clean. (laughs) And what else can I say? Yeah, and Bergen, we're also, I think, yeah, we have uh, sister cities in the UK as well, like Newcastle, also famous for the rain. So I think there is a connection. And we also like the Seattle rock scene from the 90s in Bergen. Nirvana were huge in the 90s and also one of my favorite bands. And I even have a friend who was heavily inspired by grunge rock. So when he created his own rock band, his slogan became Bergen is the new Seattle. I love that. One of your pictures that I saw on social, you had a metallic shirt on, and I was excited that you were yeah. you're into the rock and metal. That's a good, very good genre. Yeah, Nirvana here is still obviously iconic, probably forever, but they still have a couple of venues where Nirvana played that are up and running still, which is really awesome. And they're divey places it's so cool no way yeah. yeah we have a few actually nirvana were supposed to perform in bergen in 1991 so they were booked into this rock club but then i think yeah four weeks before the gig they released Nevermind, and the sales just blew and the club in bergen became too small so they had to cancel the gig in bergen oh <laughs> you did to accommodate the masses wow yeah. That's amazing. What a cool part of history. And now Bergen is home to 280,000 people. Is that right? Second largest city, you said. Yes, it's 280,000 and still growing strong. Wow. And is English spoken widely? Yes, I would say English is uh, quite common, at least for my generation and younger ones. And it is in Norway, we learn English from an early age. I was just learning English in school from I was like eight years old. And I think these days you learn English from you even started school age six. And we also watch loads of English series on television from we're quite young. Coming from my generation, we have a bit more English influence. And recent times, we watch loads of American series in Norway. I grew up watching Seinfeld on television. That's how we get introduced to the English language from an early age. I love that. My ancestors are Norwegian and Swedish, but when I was looking up some of the lineage to see about dual citizenship, it was Norway, I believe, was only a couple grandparents removed from your lineage that you can claim dual citizenship or apply for dual citizenship to Norway and another country. And I thought that was so interesting, but I think my grandparents were 
they came over three generations ago. So I was like, I somehow just made, just missed the cut. And I was very sad about it. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I will visit though. Yeah, actually, since you mentioned my grandfather, he was an American citizen by birth. So he was born in New York City. Then he moved uh, back to Norway. So he had to renew his American citizenship on an annual basis. He had to travel from his uh, hometown, small village in the south of Norway, to Oslo once a year. So in the end, he decided to just keep his Norwegian citizenship. <laughs> yeah, America makes it a little difficult. They do. They definitely do to keep. And then, yeah. yeah. And then if you get an American citizenship from another country, they like make you pledge only loyalty to America, just like in verbal. It's not like anything that they would keep you tied to. If you ended up going back to your home country, I don't think they would follow you and <laughs> prosecute you. Mm. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's a, a couple of friends of mine just moved to Sweden and it was a process because they're not from Swedish descent but they got there on a visa and everything, but it's, yeah, it's difficult getting citizenship and moving all over the world, but a lot of people do it. So it's not impossible. Uh, definitely not. Yeah. Okay. So I could talk about your heritage and everything forever. Norway's top of my list of places to visit. And now I know somebody there. That's very exciting. So oh, yeah. when I do go, <laughs> but you, Matthias, you're a social entrepreneur and I love your story and what you are doing to help kids, primarily dropout students from secondary school, find their drive, discover their passion, become leaders. So you have this firsthand experience in helping students that literally are feeling like they don't belong where they are and that the option they have is to leave and pursue other things outside of education, which for some is an okay choice. For many, it's a debilitating choice for their life. And I'd love to deep dive into all of this, but first let's get to know you a little bit better. So we know Bergen, Norway, and you were in the Royal Norwegian Air Force. And I'm really curious if like some countries that's a requirement for citizenship or if you joined on your own. Yeah, and that's a, a very good question, Courtney. I suppose the military system in Norway is slightly different from the American one, as far as I have understood how the system is working there. Yes, you are right. In Norway, we do have a compulsory conscription. So that means that every citizen has to serve for a minimum of 19 months in the country. And the system has been going through comprehensive changes for the past 10 years or so. I was enrolled in the Air Force for one year. And that's basically, you do serve 12 months in what they call in English a first-time service. And for the remaining seven months, if you've been called up to what they call like the continuous military training, or if no is going to a war, you have to serve your remaining seven months. This is until you are turning the age of 44, then you are no longer having any military commitments. And since 2015, then it's not just a compulsory service for men, it's also for women in Norway. Interesting. Is the last war Norway was involved in World War II, or has there been another one? Yes, the, la the last one was World War II. Okay. So you didn't have to. 
fight. No, uh, you, you didn't have to. The thing is, back in my father's days, you had to if you were being called up. Almost no exceptions. As a matter of fact, if you did not serve in the military, back then people would think there would be something wrong with you, that you were mentally disturbed or something. But now it's more like a staple of quality if you serve in the military, because even though it's compulsory on paper, you no longer have to do it. If you don't want to do your compulsory service, you're just going to enter those military sessions and you simply say, no, I don't want to go to the military. They say, okay, then you're fine until Norway becomes involved in a war. We may, we may have to call you up again. Come back. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. I've always found for countries that that require it. And as people know here in the States, not required, but if there's a war, you could get drafted, even if you have no military background or you weren't previously in the military. And I believe that it's typically men that are drafted, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, a vast majority, even though it's compulsory for women as as well. It is indeed men who tends to be drafted the most, even though they do try to recruit more women to join the armed forces as well. In my opinion, they still have a job to do in that sense. And particularly the past year, there's been plenty of Me Too cases in the Norwegian military as mm. of um, women being victim to officers abusing their power. So there is still a job to be done in that sense. But the media are always looking heavily into this subject at the moment. So changes are happening, luckily. Okay. So you went and joined, was it right out of secondary school? Yes, it was five months after I graduated from upper secondary so in between, I was tired of school by the time I was graduating. I was having a few jobs in between school and my military service. And then in January 2012, that's when I enrolled in the Air Force officially. Okay. And your background in education is extensive, which is so exciting. So in terms of the what you chose to study after the Air Force and how that helped you know that you want to work with children or not children, work with young folks who are dropping out of school. What is the, the tie to that? When did you figure that out in your education? Yeah, that, that's a very good question, Courtney. And it's not one definite answer. I think it's just when you've been going through the walk of life, it all ties up somehow. And I think yeah, I definitely had inspiration from my time in the military. Because uh, the thing is, uh, the school system in uh, Norway is continuously changing. And in the past, since the last millennium, there has been a massive dropout rate in the school system. As the school becomes more and more t theoretical, you kind of have to sit down for longer days. You have to learn more curriculum in shorter time, the way it is. And uh, until the 90s, if you didn't enjoy school system in Norway, then you can become an apprentice, do vocational internship. You can become like a carpenter or plumber if that's what you would like to. You can just be an apprentice and then we just uh, become certified. But now you have to go to school even to become an apprentice mm. in such a way. You have to learn lots of theory before you can do something practical. And uh, not too many people are enjoying that kind of change. And there's also in lots of 
describe it in a understanding way for an American context. The psychological safety in the schools these days, not on top. Uh, as um, there's been a problem for teachers to kind of create a good uh, environment in their classes. And I think yeah, we're all feeling this uh, somehow. And it's usually those people who tend to perform well academically that are also mm-hmm. being uh, prioritized by teachers mm-hmm. and also being lifted up as being an example of a student. And also those being good athletes. That means they're remaining like 70% of a class that are not performing on top and don't have a chance to prove their values in other aspects. They tend to be overlooked. And those things create tensions in a class. They absolutely do. That's It's so interesting, especially from an American, to hear that Norway has those psychological hurdles within the classroom. It's no secret that here we are growingly used to school shootings. And so that's become a huge issue here for that psychological turning point of how much is the teacher responsible for? They shouldn't be responsible for actual lives. But this is so interesting that they should be responsible for understanding that other 70% of students and their needs and making sure that they also feel represented. So your role then is to help that population feel represented and find what they want to do. Yes, that's exactly what I am working on. And just to add a bit more, from my experience at school, I had an overall very nice experience, even though I wasn't a top student academically. But you can still notice that some students, they tend to be favorized. And it's always what's on the curriculum, if they can remember that. And also those were good athletes. And even though you have no formal hierarchy, you can sense that, okay, he's a great student. He's on top. Oh, this guy, he's and he's very good in football. So he has to be a leader, even though they're not behaving well towards the rest of the class. I think that just because they are good, they can do anything they want. And then because they don't measure everything in school, they tend to overlook the rest. And even though they have great skills and huge knowledge in things you can't find in your textbook, it's like, now this is not how it's supposed to be done according to the book. So now we can't listen to this. Or now you're wrong because it's not written in the book and creates kind of a black white thinking. You know what I mean? Really does. And that's a disservice. So you on your profile said that you lived outside of the norm. And I wrote that down because I that's a big part of why I started this podcast, because I love talking to people that are pursuing not very common paths, especially in relation to their background. In your personal growth, where have you experienced that feeling of you're not belonging and what we call imposter syndrome? I think we all feel that the imposter syndrome at the times you went be growing. I think for me, I always consider myself to be quite creative. And of course, I found it interesting to read in textbooks, but I didn't like that you should just repeat what's written in the books and no, this is right and no, this is wrong. I've always been 
this kind of guy who looks into the more holistic uh, picture, and particularly in the upper secondary, say in the social sense, uh, perhaps I was unlucky with my class because many of my classmates have been known each other since primary school, some guys even since kindergarten. And so I'm coming 10 years later on, and such I'm always going to be the new guy in upper secondary. And those guys, they already know each other from a young age, they're on Shargon and such can be hard to make uh, mm. new friends. It really can. Kids and kids can be really mean, but kids can be really inclusive too. You just have to find that right group. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was fortunate enough to do in the end. I found my own group of guys and overall we had a nice time, even though we were never considered to be among the cool guys because our group was small. And that's also something I see in the, among current upper secondary students and there's been um, loads of written in the media in Norway these days when you have to belong to a certain squad. And once you're a part of one, you can't be a part of another squad. You can't even talk to those people. <laughs> That's interesting. They should make a television show about that. Yeah. Um, very drama heavy. <laughs> absolutely. Actually, they have made a, one of those. It was also uh, popular in the US. It's called the Scum. Oh, okay. I've definitely seen it like pop up on the, yeah, that's very interesting. Okay. Um, what were you interested in school? Just out of curiosity, did you like sports? Were you more into the arts? I was sports. I always enjoyed to watch football, like uh, soccer, like you say in the US. And <laughs> I didn't uh, enjoy soccer too much in my primary years, but uh, when my local club, they won the Norwegian Premier League, I was 15. Kind of became hooked and I used to go to the stadium all the time when I had a chance to watch Brum play. And I also enjoyed playing basketball. That wasn't a big sport in Norway back then and it's uh, still has yet to grow. But uh, I enjoyed uh, playing it then. I was also doing karate during my younger years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also uh, enjoyed the uh, every, all the arts subjects. Uh, I enjoyed uh, social sciences and I also liked uh, history. Yeah, me too. That was always one of my favorites. Love history. What's your favorite sport? Yeah, my favorite sport these days, uh, both in terms of watching and also to play, that's rugby union. Ah, okay. Very fun. I've never watched a rugby match. Yeah, it is a great sport. It takes some time to learn the rules. And for me, it took a very long time. I got into a sport in the first place when I was studying abroad in Ireland as part of my bachelor's. I had a French friend and he's saying, hey, Matthias, Ireland, they're going to play against France today. You into joining? Then I joined and after one match, I was hooked. <laughs> yeah. Is it like American football? Do you know? Is it similar? It may look similar, similar if you just watch it, but you have quite a few differences in terms of how the game is played. So in American football, you have, I think, uh, 11 players uh, starting on the field. In uh, rugby union, it's uh, 15. And in rugby, you are not allowed to throw the ball forwards. You're only allowed to throw it behind you or to the side. And also, the game itself is much more continuous than American football. You don't really have those uh, breaks all the way through the match. And it's basically just about uh, playing the game until the referee says stop and yeah, they have a lot of timeouts. It gets really yeah. annoying. <laughs> you should watch rugby now. 
So about these youngsters, about these young people that you are helping coming out of secondary school and they are done with school before they should be done with school is I'm really curious about this program that you run and would love to get into some of the details of how it is run. In terms of these dropout students, are you seeking them out or like an asking for maybe a roster from a school for kids who have dropped out and then you can reach out or are you presenting is your program presenting itself for these kids to choose like as an option out of school? Yeah. Again, just trying to think how to explain this because lots of this thinking I'm using when making those programs, uh, it is just a way you have to do in Norwegian, but to translate those things to English doesn't always apply. I will give it my best shot. You can say they don't have any roasters in Norway. That's perhaps a weakness. It's kind of you drop out And in Norway, the welfare state is having a strong possession. And the way it's working, if you're not being having education or if you're being unemployed, you have something called a Norwegian welfare agency. Basically, what they do, they try to help you into a job to have employment or if you have the qualifications, they may also fund a part of your studies or help you to get started to have a degree and also have more qualifications so eventually you'll be able to find employment and then for those people dropping out they don't have any qualifications and as a matter of fact in Norway according to the latest statistics I think one out of three pupils they leave school without any qualifications oh that's high yes 30 (laughs) percent yeah it's way too high Oh my God. Okay. What is the main employer in Norway? What industry? That's also something that's been changing uh, heavily the past uh, 10 years. Say uh, when I was at upper secondary, we all always thought you have to become an engineer because petroleum is, was, is still huge in Norway. And then I was saying, if you're becoming an engineer, if you have something with chemistry, you're almost going to be guaranteed a job. So do science. And that's what we were told. However, I would say decline in the petroleum around 2013-14. And now it's almost been impossible if you graduate with qualifications in engineering just related to petroleum to find a job. And there's been, a, I think, like the rest of the world they're leaning much more towards sustainability and green economy. So there's a change in the employment sense. And even the petroleum companies, they have to rebrand themselves and seek out more sustainable options. And then because the way the education system has been adjusted based on their needs, then people were starting in petroleum, then they graduate, then they have no job prospects anymore. And now they are trying to reshape the education once again towards sustainability. Everybody has to move towards the sustainability, which is very good for the world, but very hard for those folks, especially in school when transitions are happening and maybe they are really into STEM and they have to figure out a different role to play in their, like when they graduate after for whatever they studied. It's so interesting. Economic shifts are 
really interesting and how it plays into the working force. Okay. Are your goals with the social welfare program, with what you're doing in particular, maybe even personal goals for how you're helping these students, are you trying to reduce dropout rates because it's the 30% is very high or are you increasing success after dropout and just accepting that this 30% is how it is, but you want to help those people? Yeah, it is the last one at the moment. So people aren't trying to recruit to my workshops. That's also just been dropping out of school. Because if you want to prevent them from dropping out, you have to go directly towards yeah. the school system itself. And these days, when you do upper secondary school in Norway, you have quite long days. So you have days between basically eight o'clock in the morning until four in the afternoon. And then on top of that, you also have homeworks. And so you don't have much time to do other things. And some students may even have a part-time job next to their school days. Right now, I'm currently focusing on helping those people who has been dropping out. An essential part of my workshops is I'm turning those not just into finding something that interests them, something that drives them. I'm also turning them into leaders when they enter the workforces. And also, hopefully, they can lead the way. They can be an example for other people in upper secondary, people their own age, so they can lead the way such way they can also create a more inclusive environment but rest where they focus on empowerment such way they can also create more psychological safety yes you're leading by example in that and that's it's very a compassionate standpoint very lovely i love that what are you doing to help them what are your out of the box methods that are going to be different than the school system what i'm doing it's not uh, one particular method I'm using because people are different. So I have to look into each and every individual when trying to help them. And what I'm doing, I think the main thing is when you want to help people to find the drive, you have to find something that genuinely interests them. So you have to ask uh, every person, what is it that you enjoy to do? Uh, what is it that you love to do in your spare time? And that can be many things. You may have those uh, guys uh, who's been uh, sitting on the bedroom for from just uh, one year and gaming all the way. And then, uh, okay, they're great uh, gamers. And that's skills you can also transfer to ICT and software development. And you have a few companies in Norway that focus on those uh, areas. But uh, there's a lack of knowledge into those alternative uh, programs. Because uh, the public sector in Norway, they tend to kind of promote the school and also university, so the pure education, and not always the alternative uh, programs they can use. And what I'm doing, I'm uh, using my network to kind of find those possible collaborators. So after they're done with my workshops, when they have more awareness into what they would like to do, when they have the essential leadership skills, then they can travel further on to a new program, they can follow their interests. Say that following the interests means that they do need to go back to school to maybe get a different degree. For college in your area, at least, maybe even like a local countries around you, 
do they accept kids without a secondary degree if they didn't graduate? No, you need to have all the necessary subjects from upper secondary. However, the alternative is you have a vocational schools and that's one so you can become involved in the doing a building. You can be a carpenter and that's of more, more practical jobs. And another thing that can be done, say, if you don't like school, but you enjoy gaming, you have a few programs where you don't need a degree to enter, but you can be trained for six months, one year. And when you are finished with this program, it's quite interactive and creative. Then you can go straight into a new job. Very interesting. I really like the the focus on gaming because it is a huge part of the young people's culture. Even my, maybe even your generation, I'm in my 30s. And I just grew up with it. We were like the first ones that got into gaming in the 90s. But my experience with that is parents can use that as a way to say, don't game too much because you don't have any other skills. But it's not true. Obviously, you shouldn't spend all your time in front of a screen. You need to go outside. But it's you can absolutely develop a solid career if your interests are gaming. Yes, Absolutely. That's also a part of my, say, the outside the box uh, thinking. Mm. My experience in the school system is because uh, it's such a focus on the curriculum. If you have an interest that's not there, and you can actually have uh, parallels between what's being discussed at school and your interests, they can say, no, it's not relevant. In my experience, uh, I think, yes, your interest can indeed be relevant. It's just you have this generational gap that's being trained in a different way. And like you say about gaming, because that was all new, it wasn't considered to be relevant. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm using an example from, I wasn't too much into gaming and upper secondary. And on the other hand, I loved music. I loved rock music. I could play guitar for hours after I was mm-hmm. finished with school. But we didn't have music classes in upper secondary, especially a theorized focus there. Oh, interesting. And that's sad, I feel. That's a big miss. Yes, it's a huge mess because uh, you basically get all the creative subjects in a theorized school. But yeah. they can study music on their own through your encouragement. Yes, that's also partly what I'm, I'm doing. You can do music and you can't just study it. You can also tie music and your interest there into so many other things. And I realized that when I'm an adult, when I was playing guitar, it wasn't just a waste of time. I may still pick it up now and then, but I did learn discipline to do something I liked just to become better. And it taught me how to challenge myself and to become better at playing. And another thing that ties directly into what I'm doing now, taught me lots about entrepreneurship. When you read those stories about Metallica, like you mentioned about my post. You have to build up everything from scratch. They have to network a lot. They have to focus on branding. They have to focus on their target group to sell records. Same thing with Nirvana, who basically had a do-it-yourself attitude from day one. They have to build up the band. They have to travel around to promote themselves. They have to be creative. Eventually, they made something huge from it. And I don't 
know for sure, but I'm pretty sure grunge music was not a big thing before Nirvana. So they're even like pioneering, helping pioneer this whole new music movement. And you're so right. That's entrepreneurship. Absolutely. That's such a beautiful way of looking at it. The the question that I'm trying to form in my mind, it's becoming very loaded because you are talking about these folks who can now pursue music. They can now pursue more in tech with their gaming background. They can do things that they didn't have an opportunity to do in secondary school. When I first was looking at what program you you run and the services like you offer from what I could find, I was thinking that these dropout students were doing so because they felt that they had no other choice in terms of their economical standpoint or even like financial at their home. And like they had to drop out of school to take care of the kids. They had to drop out of school and get a job. We see that in America. But it sounds like some of these dropouts might be because they can't do what they want to do and they're frustrated. And so they leave and then they pursue it elsewhere. Are any of those, are there other reasons that they're dropping out? Can you go into that? Yeah, there's not one particular reason why students are dropping out. It heavily depends on each student address. Based on those students I'm talking with, you have a lots of reasons. One recurring one is uh, bullying and they don't really feel involved in the school no. where they're at. And such it becomes hard to show up uh, every day when, you know, now it's going to be another shite day today. And now I know already even the teachers, they're not going to be positive to me. And when you have that lack of positivity, you just go to a place and you don't really enjoy it. You don't feel welcome. And then you end up uh, dropping out because of yeah. that. If you never feel you truly belong we're at. And another recurring thing is because the school system as a whole doesn't always value those people who tend to look at things a bit differently. Those students who don't enjoy sitting at the desk for eight hours and just mm-hmm. read and just to come up with examples straight from the book because they are creative. And because they think they're a bit outside the norm, they're not having good grades because A, Teachers uh, may not always understand what students are trying to say. And B, because even though they formulate themselves well, it's a bit out of context and such. It can't be graded in the regular way, if that makes sense to you. It does. What are the services and tools for neurodivergent people in the system? So those kids that have learning disabilities. Yeah, that also depends on what the problem is. Yeah, we have, they have loads of programs for students with AD. I think it's the American, in Europe we say ADHD. And they have some what's considered to be alternative schools. And they also have a arrangement for they love sports and being outdoors to be a part of their, their day, school day. Even though it's usually for a bit younger students. And they also have something called a Falk High School which is a typical Scandinavian thing. And the way this is working is for one year, instead of having grades, then you go to a school, but you are doing something that you enjoy. So you can do sailing for one year. You can work with computers. You can do theater. You can even perform music and you can even travel the world if you want to. The thing is you have to pay 
to be accepted to those schools. Luckily, the state of Norway, they have a good economic arrangement. So you can have a loan to do those things for one year. I haven't been to a folk high school myself, but the feedback is usually brilliant. The only negative thing for NESA, in my opinion, is you usually have to be 18. They should have more programs for students who go straight from lower secondary age 16 before they start upper secondary. So you can just do something that I enjoy mm. straight on. And then they can go back to upper secondary when they're finished and folk high school, probably having new perspectives. Mm. And again, that's how the Norwegian system is. It is expected that you start upper secondary by the year you're turning 16. You're not really supposed to do things as it suits. You're supposed to do those things and then you go to a folk high school when you're 19 and have graduated and for some students that may be too late so interesting in america there is it's unheard of to have a gap year in it's not unheard of that's not true it's encouraged that you go to college right out of secondary school and a gap year is seen as a it's something that would look poorly on your then school applications to get into college, which I think is insane because as you're saying, you are, your brain is developing through obviously primary school, secondary school, your brain is still developing until you're like in your thirties and you don't know what you want to do for the rest of your life. So you should have these ample opportunities to explore and that's so important. And it's not given. It's like school, this is what's expected of you. You need to follow the norm. Yeah. And it is when you're young. And let's face it, when you graduate, when you're 19, not many people genuinely know what they want to do. They just start to study. And of course, they may have an interest and in, yeah, they may enjoy the subject. And even when you finish a degree that you loved, and then you start working. And then you sit there and realize, I can't do this for all my life, life, which is perfectly fine because it's still an experience. And at least now you're aware, okay, this may work for some, but it simply doesn't work for me. And that's the focus area because there is something that you enjoy and you can still use that experience in turning a career for yourself. Just when I was in the military, I didn't enjoy every aspect. I didn't really enjoy to crawl in the mud. I didn't like when my sergeants were yelling at me, but I did enjoy the companionship I had with so many of my soldiers. I did learn how to experience leadership and collaboration firsthand. And I'm building on that also in civilian life into what I do. And it also taught me discipline to push myself hard when I was working out. It taught me to focus just as it suits me to the point, okay, now I've been reading enough for today because now I know where my boundaries are and building on that mentality. So it's always relevant regardless what you do, as long as you're learning from it. And also as long as you feel you are growing and being happy with yourself. And in a lot of cases, it can be much more beneficial to your development than school because you're learning about yourself and you're learning these tactical and emotional ways to just work with your surroundings in ways that school can't teach you. So that's, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. 
And I don't think we are never really stopping to learn. It's something we do all our lives. Now, when if people ask me, how do you learn so much? Which school do you go to? And I'm always replying, I'm always uh, going to the school of life every day. <laughs> the school of life. I feel that way. Yeah, in my 30s. I feel like I learn better because I understand now how I learn. And you learn faster and more efficiently. And I'm more excited because you can pursue what you want, but it shouldn't take until you're out of school to be able to do that. And I love that you are doing it earlier. I'm curious if you, of course, with no personally identifying information for the folks that you work with, the dropout population, but do you have any success stories that you're really excited about where you met this kid and now they're happily in a career that suits them so well or something like that? That all depends on how you define success. Mm -hmm. I haven't been doing what I'm doing now for more than one year. And it's still a work in progress and it always will be. Because you have to adapt the programs and all depending on the student. And times are changing and then you may have to change something of what you do. And there's also many actors being involved and you may have to adjust. However, the one story I can share, there was this girl and... She's been dropping out of school. She was being directly honest. This simply was not her thing. She didn't enjoy it. However, what she did love, she loved acting. And she wants to become an actress. And then what I did, I was sitting down with her and she was already involved in a few drama groups. And I was thinking, how can I help her to pursue this dream? Then I was using my giving her my toolbox of leadership and also giving some advice on different techniques she can use every day just to become better at them acting. And also she so find that balance. She's not being exhausted by the end of the day. She also enjoys it. So you don't go acting 12 hours a day. And then at the end, you're growing tired because you feel you're putting in too much. There's also when you put in those healthy boundaries, so you may practice for two or three hours when you're on top and then you stop because then you also have time to rest and build on that one. And you can also do other things. Yeah, If you're interested to read books about the subjects or you can watch some series or listen to podcasts that may be relevant and also just switch off from the acting and do something else, going for a walk in the sun or just attend a concert and those things. That's wonderful. How old is that person now? Are they pretty young? Uh, uh, she is, I think it's uh, 17 uh, now. Okay. So young. And, she has her whole yeah. life. Yeah. And another thing I was doing for her, because you have loads of organizations in Norway that works in cultural life. And again, one of the main challenges, those organizations are barely being promoted by the media or the local municipalities. And you have to do loads of research to find them in the first place. Mm-hmm. And because I've been doing some acting as a side hustle myself, I had knowledge about this organization. And I thought this could be spot on for her. Just uh, give them a call or uh, I, I can do it uh, for you. So I can uh, call the organization and I can say, yeah, and I've been having this uh, girl here and she's a really good actress. She's really enthusiastic. And can you give her a chance? And yeah, of course, we'd love to. Resources. 
It's all yes. about figuring out what resources you have and you're front and center with that. I love Absolutely. That. Yeah. And also use your network as crucial. Yeah. And you build that the more that you use it. <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing about talking to people and putting yourself out there. Indeed. <laughs> that's a really good segue into a question I have about advice that you have for these people. So my, the demographic of listeners older than secondary, according to the data for this podcast. However, that means they might have children, siblings, you know, that the younger generation that are trying to reconcile with how they're brought up in school and how they actually want to function in the world and what they want to do. And as we know from this conversation, a lot of times those two things are quite at odds. What advice can you offer to people struggling with that feeling of they're overwhelmed, they're inadequate, they don't want to do this anymore? Yeah. Yeah, I say a general advice. It can be if you feel you're being overwhelmed all the time. It is a difference from being all the time than for being overwhelmed for a while. I can be overwhelmed myself, but because I know this is only going to be for one week and maybe two, and then things will calm down again. That's okay. But if it becomes too much, then my advice will be you have to take a break. You have to stop what you do. You have to rethink, is this genuinely how you would like things to be? And then you think, what is good and what can improve? Then you can look into those small things you can do to improve situation. So you can say, okay, I may have to improve my productivity. I may have to put better boundaries. And I may think, okay, it's not necessarily about the amounts of hours I'm putting down into the work. It's also, am I actually efficient when I'm working? Am I creating a good workflow or am I working just for a purpose of working? If you do the latter one, you may have to rethink your strategy. When I'm doing my entrepreneurship, I'm using the Hemingway technique. You know, Ernest Hemingway, he was the right- a brilliant- oh, wow. Yeah, the writer. And he had a brilliant philosophy in terms of working. When he was writing his books, he would always write whenever he was having some great ideas, something to put on paper. And he always stopped writing when he was doing well. In such a way, he was always quitting on top and it worked for him. I didn't know that about Hemingway. And then he would catch another inspiration and write again. Yes. Okay. You don't have to force it. No. Or you may have to force yourself to leave your comfort zone. Yeah, something I'm uh, trying to do. But uh, I'm also conscious to not enter the danger zone. Because we are human beings and I enjoy to learn. I enjoy to grow. But at times uh, it can become too much. Your brain starts to burn and you just become overwhelmed. And when it be- becomes too much, it is better to take a step back. And just think, yeah, what can I do uh, differently? It's also about doing something that suits you because what works for me may not work for you or anyone else. And you're going to have to try and you're going to fail many times, but eventually you're going to find one way that works for you. That's also what I'm teaching students at my workshops. I'm 
telling them about different uh, studying and working techniques that they can use to create the best work possible and also enjoy not just the outcome, but also the process. And I love the idea that a failure is not a failure. Failure is understanding that way didn't work. So you're, you have all of these ways that didn't work under your belt. Now you can use that data to do something that works. It's Indeed. just data <laughs> on what you're doing. It's feedback on what you're doing and it's a blessing. What are your personal aspirations for your career, Matthias? Like, where do you want to go from here? Yeah, right now, I'm going to keep on developing my workshops. And hopefully by the end of this year, I can go more full time at full scale with the workshops, receiving attention. And I'm in dialogue with potential funders for the projects and it's happening. And hopefully as my workshops becomes a success and they can also help young people to become more aware of what they want, they can become better leaders. And they also do something that they enjoy to do. Then I can keep on building on this. I can hopefully have lectures and potentially be a public speaker about this work. And also keep on promoting leadership and also wellness in your life. And also the importance of do something that interests you. Become more aware of what you can do when you're facing adversity. I wish you all the success in that. And what you're doing is really amazing for the younger generations of Norway. And my my listenership, I have quite a few in Germany, which I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> the Germans that are listening and also the UK and in Scandinavia, there are definitely listeners. So hopefully that reach can get there somewhere for at least this message and just continue this, but continue networking and you'll get there. And it's so exciting. I'm very excited to see the growth and follow it on social media and visit you in Norway because I'm coming. Oh yeah. Please uh, just tell me whenever you're in Norway or more specific in Bergen, you're going to love the city. I love Seattle so much. So I can't even imagine. And I'm going to just eat all of the pickled everything. <laughs> Where can people find you if they do want to get in touch? Yeah, what you can do, I think my largest following base right now, that's on LinkedIn. So you can just search up my name, which is, I might spell it because I'm having a rather unique letter in my surname. It's M-A-T-I-A-S, that's my first name. And then S-O-R-E-B-I-K. The O with the dash through it, what's that called? It's in Norwegian, it's called an U, just like an O with a line there over it. Oh, that's a pronunciation? Ua? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Ua. so it's a pronunciation. I see. So if you didn't pronounce it that way, it would be a normal O. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. I learned the first thing about the Norwegian language, and now I'm going to study it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Matthias. And I hope that you have a really good Friday night. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Courtney. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. Matthias is such a kind, beamingly kind human. He is doing so much good for the young adults of Norway, and I really honestly cannot wait to see what he does with the rest of his career and how he continues to shape 
the coming generations and the current generations of Norway. It's truly incredible. You know, and maybe even Scandinavia as a whole or stretching beyond that, his work is profound. I believe that the way that he and his program approaches the beliefs and stigma around not finishing some form of schooling to pursue something that is better for you might just change the world, very honestly. I will link where to find Matthias below in the show notes. And my name again is Courtney Heater. This is the You're Not Qualified podcast. I'm most active on Instagram at YNQPod. If you think that you would be a really good fit for this podcast, or if you have a cool story about how imposter syndrome started to shape your life and then you flipped your own narrative, please send it to me. I would really love to hear it. It's ynqpod at gmail.com is my email address. You can shoot me a DM on Instagram though as well at ynqpod. And my website, you're not qualified podcast.com has those links as well to get in touch with me. I want to hear it. And if you think you'd be a great fit to come and actually chat, get in touch with me. Would love to chat about all things, how you are just taking hold of your own damn life and running forward at full speed. So with all this talk about education, what it means to not finish, what it means to redirect, refocus how you finish and how you pursue what actually lights a fire in you, got me wondering what the overall dropout rate in the U.S. is. So in 2021, there were 2 million status dropouts between the ages of 16 and 24. The overall status dropout rate decreased from 8.3% in 2010 to 5.2% in 2021. So it went quite a bit down in that just over 10 years. And I'm very curious if part of that, I know that's like, it's a long time. So that 2020, 2021 um, stay at home for the pandemic and all learning went remote. I wonder if that helped or if that hurt that decrease. Very curious about that. The main reason that I wanted to use that piece of trivia of that fall in percentage, which is super great, but it's absolutely still there, is I want to encourage everybody to rewrite the own narrative that society and you are telling yourself. If you are in school, it could honestly be college, it could be a trade school, it could be any type of schooling and you feel so stuck that you are not getting what you came there for, you're not fueling your passions, you're not actually filling your own cup. I encourage you to talk to somebody about that, you know, a counselor, somebody that you trust. If there's somebody like Matthias in your area, you could probably Google it and find somebody to talk to about it. And then if you find that the best path forward is to pursue an alternative form of education, they can help you do that. They can help you understand the steps to take and what that means because dropouts are not the end. And Life does not begin and end 
in secondary school, high school, or college. There is a lot to say about how you start to think about how you learn and how you start to think about your capabilities and your own life during that time. And it kind of sets a bit of a baseline, but honestly, that baseline can be absolutely crumbled to smithereens like it was for me because I needed to rewrite and rebuild my baseline from there. All of that to say, if you feel unfulfilled, it's not the end of the world. It will be okay. And there's resources for you to move forward. I promise. And if you don't believe me, I hope that you believe a professional like Matthias because more often than not, I don't fully know what I'm talking about. But that's why I'm here. And that's why I bring in people that know more than me so we can all learn, me included. Well, imposters, thank you so much again for being here. When I see you again, it will be episode number 50. I can't bloom and believe it. It's going to be so cool. But until then, I will see you later. Bye.